0: On this week's Bet the Process podcast, we have a legitimate winning golf better on. For the first time, Rufus learned some things about how to model golf, and maybe now he can become a plus EV golf better and no longer become the villain of the golf betting world, which we learn also why he is. So with that, let's start the process. Bet, 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 bet
1: the process. Bet, bet. Bet, bet, bet the process welcome to the podcast bet the process it's not the typical cookie cutter nonsense if you came just for pics, you're in the wrong place fun it's out with the narrative to make a strong case instead of blindly assuming a team must be tanking we're looking for the edge of massCP body rankings crunching all the numbers in the simulated system to break down the data analytically driven media coverage is
0: sports gambling is welcome to another episode of the Bet the process podcast where I'm joined by a legitimate sports better a legitimate golf sports better apparently the most feared golf better in the world south of the mason dixon line rufus because you're north of the mason dixon line right now right i'm Mason-Dixon line go east west i don't know
2: i think it was like established during the civil war
0: i'm not very good at geology so i, I wouldn't know um what i'm talking about or geometry i think, I'm not very good at I think it
2: cuts
1: through virginia like north of virginia in so half of West Virginia, it's
0: a, it's a east it's an east west thing.
1: No, no, no. It's so, north
0: south. It goes east to west, though. Oh, it runs east west, correct? Yeah. Yes. And then you go east or west of the Mississippi. That's what the kids say, right? There you go. Yeah, um, I, I've heard that vernacular
1: all the time with the kids.
0: We're joined by one of our favorite top eight or seven uh, Calcutta competitors, uh, Logan Ta- Matthews. Is that right?
2: That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Is that a real name or an alias?
1: Rufus to me right from the beginning. Real name or not? <laughs> uh that is not my real name.
0: Is Logan your real name?
1: Logan is my real
0: name. Yes. Ah. There you go. Uh, is Tom. Can we try to guess your last name? What it is? I mean, what's we're the, off to a we're we're off to <laughs> a tough
1: start here on the spot.
0: What is the over-under of the number of guesses it would take Rufus and I to guess your last name? Uh oof. that's a tough line to set.
1: Seven, I, no, it's way higher than that. it's probably seven. like
0: 65. Okay, should we try? We you can try off air, <laughs> then we'll tell me. I think it'll be ribbing podcasting to hear us just
2: <laughs> <Last> <laughs> names for an hour. <laughs> it might be the least surprising thing if we just did a whole podcast where we we're trying to guess something. Yeah. It I mean, it's probably be, already. It's it's okay, already sort of happened. What
0: would be yeah. the over under on when we our seven listeners went down to six, and then five, and then four, and then three, and then two? I think it's already uh, happened. Uh, yeah, that's
1: already happened for sure. Okay,
0: so then let's get into something interesting. So, Logan, describe yourself and why you're relevant and why you're worthy of being on this podcast.
1: <laughs> oh, coming on, coming on, bet the process and using the word relevant. That's a it's a bold step. I don't want Seth to. DM me that I'm uh, overstepping my bounds.
0: Are you part of Seville technically, or do you have a card carrying, or do you have the badge to Seville? As, as
1: Drew told me one time after I went on deep dive, I'm probably not going to get invited to the picnic because I've done too many podcasts with ex sellers or current pick sellers, or actually I guess only, I haven't done it with anyone that actually sells pics, but no, I've, I, I don't know if Seville is like an official group. Because if it is, I'm definitely not a member. But it I, th- I group, think I, th- I think of it as more as like an idea of a group of people, at which case maybe I would be considered. Because I, I generally call out bullshit when I see it, which I think is sort of their main purpose, right? Going after touts is maybe the top priority, but it maybe it's a little more
2: trickle down than that. Do you spell gambling, gambooling? And do you spell sports we're, yeah sprots <laughs> uh
1: i have been known to do that on occasion it's not my twitter handle though so uh, yeah, yeah so uh,
0: enough about Seaville. like we're just like we're gonna have to have someone on from Seaville. like who is who do we think the most like representative person that we should have on from Seaville? i mean we had seth right
2: i don't know if he's the most like he's he's certainly sort of a an elder statesman of Seaville. even though i don't think he's that old but i don't know if he's the most I don't know if he epitomizes Seville the most. He's not like the average Seville member. My, my first thought is sizzle. Yeah, it's I think sizzle. it's got to be let's sizzle. Talk,
0: look, we're going to have sizzle on. He, look, let's have him on in the next couple But like that I That's think. a done deal. We'll reach I out. will. De-
1: I will definitely tune into that one.
0: Okay, so now that we decided that, tell us why. <laughs> You're a your professional sports better, is that right?
2: Uh, yeah, yeah I guess you'd say that. Have you, have you quit your job? I have. I know you said you're about, you're about to. You're about
1: to. I'll probably be about to for three more years, but I would love to quit tomorrow, but I haven't yet.
2: You know what? I mean, Captain Jack talks about this actually. He said when he quit his job, like he 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 waited till he knew, like it was like a you know, till he knew he was making a huge mistake by not doing it. You know. Yeah. I kind of did the same thing too. Like I was when I was at LVSC, I mean, it was like it, it took a lot for me to actually leave, just because it's. I don't know. I mean. Now I can't imagine not doing, you know, not like having another job, but although I do have another job, um, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I often describe myself as like, in terms of people who bet
1: high stakes, like I think of myself as such a nit, like I'm so conservative and I, I I'm so risk at first, which is maybe a weird position to have in this space, but I find myself like that. So like to give up a city paycheck. In a very relaxed city paycheck, where I'm very comfortable, and obviously all the things that go along with that, I, I, I don't know. like. I, I it it makes sense when I talk about it out loud, but then
2: to actually do it, uh, yeah. Like I said, I'm in it. I feel you on that. that. I, I'm pretty risk averse as well, believe it or not. In my freshman year of college, I played a poker game where I lost, and I legitimately was like, "No matter what I do, the rest of my life, I'm never going to get those ten dollars back." I was like really <laughs> upset about it. And now, yeah,
0: <laughs> I don't think I've like ever
2: it. had this issue. Jeff's uh, not in it.
0: No, I'm definitely not. I mean, I probably should be more. I probably should worry a little bit more about losing money than I do. But I always feel like there'll be an opportunity to make it back. Um, so, what do you typically bet on, Logan? And how did you get into this in the first place? So, I—I I mean, I joined Gambling Twitter a few
1: years ago. I had done it. I've—I've I've, I've kind of always bet on sports. Then I got maybe a little more serious about it uh, a few years ago, try to get connected to people. And I was just kind of putting a lot of information out there in in this space. And then eventually somebody was like, hey, would you be interested in a free roll? And that was sort of like the kickstart to everything. So I did a free roll for a while and that went well and met more people and got more connected and just, it just kind of snowballs from there. Once you work with people, I mean, even though it's, you know, a worldwide landscape, it is, I, I feel like, the gambling communities of it's also a very small group like kind of everyone knows everybody.
0: So I heard a rumor that you're actually an actuary. Is that true?
2: That is my full-time job. That's correct. Got it. And so following in the footsteps of, of Steve Fezzik.
1: Oh god, is a, was he an actuary? Yeah. I had to it take it out of my Twitter profile after some other actuaries given us a bad name.
0: So describe to me the parallels between being a professional sports bettor and being an actuary
1: well the the biggest thing i mean what i do as an actuary is loss modeling so when when you do that kind of modeling it's all i don't want to say it's all the exact same but it, you know that skill set of being good at modeling is very 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 similar i think much like any field there's some domain knowledge that you have to get in sports betting you know understanding how different things work and how price is, how prices are developed, all that kind of stuff is sort of a unique skill set. But to originate, at least, I'll say that, to originate, at least, it's very,
2: very similar. So when your domain knowledge, you were a college soccer player. Is that correct? That is correct. That's correct. So you bet on soccer as well, and that was sort of your first, Was that, that was your first foray? Yeah, so the idea was soccer. Obviously, I,
1: I had some domain knowledge, although I think, to a certain level that was almost a negative. Like I had these sort of preconceived notions about what what worked and what was what made a team better. Um, so I had that. And then from that, I the idea was, all right, I have this knowledge and soccer scales really well. And so I, I kind of talked about this um, with Rob on his pod and the, you know you can bet on the smallest, most obscure leagues for low limits. But if you're good at it, then you, you know, obviously your bankroll will grow, then you can just bet bigger leagues. So, I mean, you, you know, you can go all the way down to Armenian second division from there all the way to the Premier League, right? And there's 100 steps in between, and the limits constantly get bigger. So it made sense to sort of scale from that. And so I, I, I started with that, and then I was losing all my accounts. And so I was like, all right, these accounts will let me bet other stuff other than soccer, so what should I do? And I always liked playing
2: golf, so that's kind of how I got into to betting golf. So, were you, what were you betting to? Were you, was they didn't want all the Armenian second division action? Yeah, surprisingly, not
1: surprisingly, they they weren't interested in in booking too much of that. So, but that's how kind of how I started and grew from there. And then once I started betting like at limits on stuff that I mean, not every book has that, right? Like your Bovada's and your My Bookies, they'll have that kind of stuff.
0: You really were betting on just strange ass soccer markets.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, that's totally true. And, I think the edge there came from having access to really good data that didn't really exist for that sort of level. Um, Where did you, know, you so get was, the data from? Uh, from when I was, uh, so I played, but then I coached and I had lots of coaching connections and a lot of uh, soccer data out there is given away to people who you know use it for scouting and things like that. So I had some access through that. So basically I was able to leverage that really good data that not everyone had, it wasn't readily available.
2: Um, and that's kind of how I got started. Well, kind of why you should go to college in Armenia for sure, right? <laughs> <laughs> Rufus, normally I'm the one making really well, bad. I jokes wanted to know if he has years. asked. I mean, so I wonder though. This is like a legit question. You know, what- I, I'm actually
0: asking a legitimate question right now. We're like, we're like following okay. up on what he was just saying. So the, the soccer information, like the data that you were getting. I always find soccer data to be very incomplete in terms of like what you would get on a box score. So, like, what, what are you getting from those coaches that gives you an advantage to build a model that can beat soccer?
2: Yeah. So,
1: sure. I, I think the
0: biggest thing that I had
1: was not just shot data. Uh, well, so first off, like you can almost any obscure league, um, I'm trying to remember the site I used to use, Soccer Way, I think it was called, they used to always have shot data for everything, like any that has relevance they would have at least shot data for but it only had like shots shots on target shots off target etc and it wasn't very accurate when you compared it to better sources but that existed but then like the next step up was someone actually tracking it and so you know lots of of you know stats bomb opta those kind of places they track even even relatively obscure stuff and they'll do shot data for it and they'll do expected goal models and so once you have that and Again, it's not readily available, and people who had that data were probably using it on much higher markets, and weren't interested in the stuff that you know
2: had five hundred dollars limits. But it worked out well for me at the time. Got it. I was gonna. So I was gonna ask. Like, I do wonder if like something like the army, like the Armenian second division, right? I know that probably isn't actually something you're betting for real, but but I wonder if like you could have access <laughs> to like a book in Armenia or like people on the ground in Armenia, you could probably like. I bet they're taking a lot bigger action there, right? I feel like it probably could scale if you could get accounts in that particular country.
1: Yeah, you're probably right. The one thing that would concern me is adverse selection at those books, right? Like if you're betting at someone who's basically operating a book next door to the local club, like what knowledge do they have in terms of what's shaping their number versus what you can get elsewhere? That would be my only concern, but you know, it's not really something I ever uh, experienced. I've mostly, I, I, I've worked with people who, who bet offshore and obviously like I bet my own stuff offshore, but to get like, I don't know what you would call them, you know, like the local bookies in the UK or in Europe, I, I haven't explored those.
0: So now fast forward to now, which is you've moved into golf and obviously that's the sort of interesting conversation between you and Rufus because I would consider you two of the better, um, Golf betters in the world. Although I did beat you guys in the Calcutta last year. Although I don't know. Well, Logan,
2: I think Logan, Logan was, me, though, did right? pretty well too. I think I, I think I'm just the worst.
0: I think
1: if I remember correctly, I would believe that Jeff, you won volume,
0: mm-hmm.
1: like total return. One ROI. But I won ROI.
0: Yeah. I, I think that's probably fair. Um, so, how did you get into golf, and like what what's the advantage in golf? Similar like a data asymmetry.
1: Uh, yeah. So I, I mentioned how I kind of got into golf and I think things sort of changed this past year. Um, soccer was always sort of my breadwinner and golf was just kind of on the side. Um, but I kind of made that the thought this going into this winter, I took a couple months off and didn't bet anything. And I was like, I'm really just going to kind of buckle down and work hard on improving golf as, as well as I can. Um, and so I kind of asked around about like what other people were doing and you know, some people shared and gave me some insight and, you know, I kind of just dug in and, you know, I've talked to Rufus about this and I, I didn't put on Twitter and stuff. Um, but I tried to create a shot by shot model versus something like data golf, which is a round level model. And so it's it's early, right? It's only the seventh tournament of the year, eighth tournament of the year, something like that. Um, but I'm certainly optimistic and it back tested really well. So we'll see if that's sort of, um, data advantage, I guess you might call it, uh, if that continues to hold up.
0: And how are you getting the shot by shot? You're just getting like shot link data and you're creating a shot by shot model. Instead. Correct. Yeah. Rufus, how do you feel about that?
2: Well, I mean, I, I've had discussions with Logan about this. I think, um, I think it could be really good or it could, I mean, I think the danger with a simulation, um, it's sort of a really granular level is that if you're not, in, if you're not accounting for, um, Sort of the the interdependence of things, and it, it's sort of if you make an error one place, it can really spiral. And in essence, you end up getting hurt by something that isn't even fundamental to the model. Like I compared it to, and it's not it's it's not the same, but like when I try to build a baseball simulation model, where I'm like I have to factor in pinch hitters and when the when when a pitcher is going to get pulled and things like that, right? Um, in my baseball sim, and so you know you can. And I was modeling like, is this is is um, the ball put in play or not put in play? Conditional on it, put in play. Is it a pop fly, line drive, fly ball, ground ball? Conditional on each of those. What you know, is it an infield ground ball or an outfield ground ball? What's the pro- And then b- what's the distribution of like if it's single, double, triple, or what base the guy reaches? I, I didn't care if it was an error or not. Um, you know, based on that, right? So I mean there's but but when you when you kind of have these big chains of, of things, you can you can really um, unless you're doing things really, really perfectly, you can really mess things up. And I found after doing, um, spending like a winter on this baseball sim model back in like 2010 or 2011, I discovered it did worse than my inference-based model. So, um, so with that said, like I don't, I think that it clearly is is the, um, I think it's what everybody hopes to do to build someday. Um, right. it, it, you can clearly capitalize on some things that you can't with the round level model. Um, but I know we've talked about, um, I, I don't know how much I'm allowed to say or not here, Logan, you can tell me to shut up or not, but no, uh, but I
1: you, think another factor to consider is the prevalence of data golf and what they do and how they're constantly improving. Like to a certain extent, well, for one, you have to do better than they're doing, or at least you have to do it differently. Um, and you know th- they are constantly improving and no, they're not perfect, but they don't really claim to be. So I, I think it, to me, it was one of those things where it was like, I mean, I asked around and it seemed like no one else was really doing it. And so I felt like, like if I could do it right, and I, I, I hope I am, if I can do it right and be the first person into the market in that area, that's going to give me a big advantage because eventually everyone's going to be there. Like you said, that's everyone's end goal. And eventually that's how things are going to be done. But if I could be the first one there, that
2: would be a big advantage. So are you getting, do you get live, are you getting, I guess, week by week shot level data feeds and everything like that? Uh, Yeah. After every round. Yeah. But the shot level stuff. Yes. Correct. Yeah. Okay. We'll talk off air about how you get that. (laughs) <laughs> what, are, what, are,
0: what are the characteristics, Logan, of the shot level data? I mean, besides like location and things like that, I guess you just know, do you get any? I guess what are what's the data you get within each shot?
1: So shot link data has at its most granular level, it is XYZ plot data. And right. you could you could really do a ton with it, more than I have. My general goal was let me build out the distributions of how any golfer is going to play this hole, right? Like what is the likelihood that they're going to do this? They're going to do this. They're going to do that. And If I can just build out all those, I'm going to get a very, very, very good idea of how well they're going to play this hole. Um, and so that was, that was sort of the mindset of, of how to approach it.
2: Can you walk you through, I don't, can you walk through, like, let's say you're, you're simulate, you know, you're doing simulations of a, let's say it's a par five. Are you simulating driving distance from a distribution of a guy's driving distance and how it translates to that hole? You know, is that independent of whether they hit the fairway? Like what's uh how, what does it kind of look like?
1: Yeah. So, so yeah, at the high level, it's, does this golfer find the fairway? Yes or no. If they find, if they miss the fairway, what are the outcomes of where they end up? Right. How often are they in, in the area. penalty? How often are they in a bunker? How often are they in the rough? And then, you know, on a whole level, it's not just like, all right, what does this golfer do? You also need to sort of understand how the hole plays, right? Like, okay. Yeah. I could tell you that just by using, you know, percentages, like what are the chances that John Rom hits the green from 150 out, but that doesn't really tell me a whole lot about what, his, <laughs> about what his score is going to be. Cause I don't know anything about the green and I don't know anything about Rom's lie and so if you can start to piece some of those things together, then you can get a much better idea of not only does he hit the green, but when he hits the green, how far away is he? How often does he then make that putt? How often does he two putt? How often does he three putt? How often does he miss the green? And then when he misses the green, it obviously, you know, it branches from there. So it's a lot of possibilities, but I, in my opinion, it's the closest way to simulate it out.
2: I think the hardest part I guess is going to be like simulating the distances and the distance, like the proximity to the pin and stuff, what the distributions of those look like. Um, are you, are you, is it sort of like binary? Does he hit the green or not? If he hits the green, what's the distance? If not, what's the, you know, like,
1: yeah, sort of, sort of, I, I, I try to give a, an idea of when he hits the green, what does that look like? And then when he misses the green, what does that look like? Um, to your point, and something I had wrote down to, to maybe ask you what your thought was, um, is the hard part about proximity is you don't really know what the target is. Like, it's easy to say like, Oh, he's aiming for the hole, but that's not really true a lot of times, you know? So miss tendency can be like really tough to, to quantify. So if you have any thoughts, I'd
2: definitely be interested in hearing it, but that's, that's sort of the hard part. I was going to say, think about like, um, 18 at the Honda Classic, Daniel Berger versus Seb Straka. Sepp Straka hits it to the middle of the green. Um, he was what 45 feet or so. I don't know what the actual distance was. Daniel Berger hit in the water, but was actually probably closer to the pin than Straka. Right, yeah, first. for sure. You know, I mean, Berger also needed to eagle that hole to have a chance to tie the tournament. But and that's something. That's another
1: thing you can't really get right. Although I don't really think you can at the round level either. Like no. the situational approaches to the holes that vastly changes based on what just happened in the last hole. Um, And that's another thing that you actually mentioned to me that was spot on. We talked about this before when I was doing the simulations, I was getting very low variance for golfers and I couldn't really understand why you brought up such a good point. It's like, because their scores are correlated hold hole, like the odds of him doing well in the next hole were probably improved if he didn't, if he did well in the previous hole. Um, And because of that, you get these like fatter tail distributions of their scores. So that, that, so it, it is not without fault. It's not without weaknesses, this approach, but,
2: Um, hopefully it's just a step up from, from the round level stuff. When I think what what you you said about, if you're doing something, you want, you want to be doing something differently. If you, if you're doing like, if you're doing things the same way as everybody else, um, you have to be really, really freaking good at it. And, um, and if you, but if you're doing something a little bit, I mean, and the upside isn't as big, but if you're doing something that nobody else is doing, if you're directionally correct, and even if you're missing some stuff, you know, as long as you're getting some stuff that the other people aren't getting, you're going to, you're going to do quite well. What do you, what do you guys think? And maybe Logan,
0: what do you, it'd be interesting here, your perspective versus uh, Rufus, what would your hypothesis be on some of the main areas that you're gaining an advantage? Is there like certain types of players? Is there are certain situations that you think a shot level model, it does better than, you know, like where are the inefficiencies in the, in the, you know, like the round by round model? Yeah. So
1: a, a couple maybe extreme examples that I can think of would be, you might, you know, if you're off in here, like, Oh, it's ball striker course, et cetera. So like a, a, a spot where you have to be really spot on with your irons. Right. But if every par four is spot 10, that course plays a lot different than if every par four is three sixty five, like, the irons that you're hitting are, are completely different clubs. And so, you know, if you have a guy who's constantly hitting his 125 club versus constantly hitting his 195 club, you know, how good are they with those two clubs? Because they're probably not as, as good with both, right? They probably have some weaknesses here and some strengths there. So that would be one example. The other thing would be um, around the green sort of, you, you might know, like, okay, around the green is important. A lot of people are going to miss around, but. Is it because there's a lot of bunkers? Is there a lot of rough? Are they hanging on the fringe? Are they going to be putting a lot? Like those things are not going to be able to be properly quantified. At least I'll say this, at least with just general strokes gained, because that it's just kind of hidden within there. Like you could use other things, right? You could do sand saves, scrambling, like some of that might
2: start to, to fill in the gaps. You can look at strokes gained from bunkers, like strokes gained or lost. But I mean, although I think every way you do it, you still have, it's really hard to sort of, know how difficult a bunker shot really is because you could be i mean uh, you can sort of look and see if you're short-sighted in a way but you don't know the i mean the and you could see what the slope what what the z-coordinate for the bunker where you're hitting the ball is and for where the pin is but like unless you're constructing a full like contour map it can be pretty hard
1: yeah and and that's there's high variance within the bunker too right are you plugged are you on the lip right yeah i mean it's, it's 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 all changes so i think especially on a small sample size, you're just going to get a ton of noise there, but you know, try as best you can to sort of
2: parse it out. I would say, I mean, so I, I would argue almost though, that like, right, as you said, there's like small sample sizes with those types of things. I, I tend to sort of keep it regressed towards the sort of thing with a larger sample size, which would be in this case, like, you know, let's say if we're talking about around the green, we're talking about fringe versus fairway versus, Um, primary rough versus bunker. Right. I mean, clearly, I mean, actually you're going to have pretty decent samples, but I guess one of the challenges is probably going to be at a, a, like, at a whole level look like what's the penalty of being in the primary rough on this particular hole. Right. Um, Yeah. Although again, I don't know, you're simulate like, unless, you know, if you were live betting or something and we're having to evaluate from where a guy actually is, it might be very different than if you're just saying, you know, he hits it into the primary rough, you know, I don't know. Can I ask how you, do, so, I, so I. One thing.
1: Oh, sorry. I was going to say one thing is that uh, by looking at the whole itself, like the whole data, you can kind of parse some of that stuff out. Like how difficult is this bunker? Well, if you know how often someone's in that bunker and what they do from there, we well, can get an idea of how often and you know who was in there right because you also want to count for who was in there right you're going to have shittier golfers in the bunker than those that are on the green by and large so if you have an idea of who's in there and how well they play from the sand you can get an idea of how often any player right give them the average lie how often how well they are going to do from there so you sort of have to balance the two of like not just the golfer
2: information but then the whole information about how it's playing i was going to say like the same bunker could be really you know very different outcomes depending on where the the pin is located right i think yeah not knowing before the like, not knowing before, you know, right now, you don't know where the pin positions are going to be at Bay Hill. Yeah.
1: And it, again, it goes back to proximity and mis tendency. Like those things are hard to quantify when you don't know, right? Like if you know that everyone seems to be hitting the green at the spot, sometimes the pins here and sometimes the pin here, that kind of tells you two different things. It, it, it's imperfect for sure. And
2: it's part of part of the challenges of golf. If the data was perfect, then I wouldn't be making a living betting. It.
0: <laughs> so um, I'm going to ask you one more question on this, and then and then sort of like I think a macro thing that we should talk about. Um, one, do you think that if you were able to get um, uh, like spin rate, those types of things, like that level of granularity on shots, that it, it, you could improve your model?
2: I could be wrong, but I actually believe shot data does have that. It's, Oh, I, I don't know if it's improved in recent years, but I remember looking at some of these numbers and just seeing some complete wonky things like, like average, like with launch angle and all that stuff. Cause it's only measuring certain ones. And, and when you have a bunch, when you have a guy that's averaging a negative launch angle, like I'm going to be a little bit like concerned with data quality. Yeah. So I feel like there's, it's like, it's probably probably most of the data is probably really good, but there's probably some that's just like contaminated and it's like hard to know what.
0: Well, but I mean, it could, it matters a lot more on certain shots, right? Like on the drive, if you have that kind of stuff, it's probably pretty helpful. But they yeah. they, they can't have full, like they can't have full, um, what, what, is it, what are those things called? Like the TrackMan, what are they called? Tra- TrackMan. What's that?
1: Launch monitors.
0: Launch monitors. Yeah. What, what, I mean, they don't have full launch monitor data for the, all these shots. Do they on ShotLink, link?
1: I'm only kind of going off memory. I I've definitely seen it. it could, you could be right. It could only be on drives. Um, but I, it goes to the point, like, I think there's a lot you could do with ShotLink data that I'm not doing. So I'm sure someone out there will find a way to do it even better than me. Like you said, using spin rates, you could probably figure out, you know, you know flight path and, you know, curve that they're adding to the shots and whether that's improving or getting worse or getting better, you know, like even taking it that granular, like you're going to be able to find some, some knowledge from that. It just really depends on how deep you want to go. High
2: ball flight, low ball flight for, for wind stuff. I actually mm-hmm. looked at that once, literally was looking at the, you know, based on, cause you, the shot link stuff that I saw for that was just like the summary statistics on pga This is like years ago when I looked at it and and trying to sort of see, oh, you know, the high ball flight guy, is that guy going to be worse in the wind and like finding no effect? So I have no idea if that was a data quality issue or not, but but I was like, eh. I um, I have a question for you. I I surveyed some people and got some, some questions to bring in.
1: And one of them in sort of this realm is strokes gained. What, I'll sort of rephrase what they said, but what percentage of your process do you think is influenced by strokes gained?
2: Like how I mean, how strokes, useful so do you find is, do you mean, it as a By stat? strokes gained, do you mean shot link data? Because strokes gained is like a concept that's, you know, you can say this guy gained this many strokes, like, I mean, without shot link data, right? You just can't attribute it. You don't know where to attribute it to. Yeah. However you want to quantify it, right. You can
1: say like, I'm using Dana golf's numbers. I'm using PGA's numbers. I've created my own version of shots gained or strokes gained, you know, however you want to sort of quantify or,
2: you know, describe it. How, how much of it is part of your process. I mean, so I'll say a framework of like knowing how much, how a guy shot and being able to contextualize that perform, like that round score and stuff like that. And that whole score is certainly like, that's like a huge part of it, but but the like strokes gained putting, strokes gained approach, the simple, the, the stuff like that, that you see out there, um, is not like, not as big as people I think would expect. Um, I do some stuff on my own customized that, that I found, I found some signal in some interesting places. Um, but you know, I, I, yeah, I think, I mean, cause I think like, we all know that I think you really, to, to make the best use of the shot link data i think you really do need to go you you need to essentially filter out the signal from the noise and the signal is not like a guy holding uh, we talk about like guys holding out right and and i think that's i know data golf uses an adjustment for that i've talked to them about that um and you know there's it's almost like it's the equivalent to like the 99 yard touchdown pass or something in football, right. Where like a guy breaks a tackle a defender falls down and they're gone and it's going to make the team look great statistically, but like, you know, fundamentally it was, it worth that much. No. I mean, so I, if you think about it, every time a guy hits the ball within like, let's say on an approach shot within a few feet, you know, there's a chance. I, I, it's basically luck, whether it's going to go in or not. In fact, I mean, I think during tiger's peak, he didn't hold, I think he, in 2000 or 2001 or whatever, he hold out fewer than anybody else on tour, which is kind of insane. Mm-hmm. That Like, at his peak, Tiger got I, I th- <laughs> so, Yeah, I think, like, there, there's nothing
1: anyone who sort of sweats golf will know that, like, there's nothing more tilting, especially when you're watching a matchup, right, of, like, two golfers playing around and someone hits just a beautiful shot to, like, six feet. The other guy like you know, chunks it and is on the fringe, but the odds of them both two putting are pretty high. And it's, it's, again, it's sort of part of what makes golf unique. It, it maybe you can speak to a little bit about like the differences in golf because I've only done golf and soccer and they are just, I, I really couldn't think of two different sports to model oh, because yeah. one is so team-based and one is so constantly fluid. One's individual and every sort of piece of data you can get I, I, I'm just curious how you think golf compares to, uh, I mean, I know you've done
2: baseball and football, like I've done some process. soccer as well. I've, I've looked into soccer. I'm, I haven't really bet it. Um, but definitely did some exploration of that. You know, I mean, but, right. It, it's golf is an individual sport. I think it's to me. It. I mean, I don't know. They're, they're very different, but even team sports, it's about using granular data to, and having a framework to, to sort of separate the fundamentals from the noise um i think football is more difficult in a way well or soccer you know i mean sports baseball is an individual sport too let's like just get that out of the way because it's you know you have baseball is probably the most simple i mean you have binary you have it's just in terms of the the framework for it um but something like football or basketball where where there's a lot of I guess, synergistic effects and that kind of thing where it's hard, you know, where it's really hard to pinpoint credit and blame Um, and you, and football big time, small data problem, you know? Um, And so I would say football is harder in that regard for sure um, and different. But I mean, the thing is everybody's, you know, everybody's, it's harder for everybody in that way. Right. I mean, everybody's having to deal with it. So in a way like that's, I mean, I think, I think I had a big advantage in golf for a number of years because a, there weren't a lot of people looking at it quantitatively and B I had good data. And I think I had a pretty good process for looking at it just based on the stuff I had done with baseball in the past and, and, and all that. And, you know, this is before strokes gained. I think this is back when they had strokes gained putting and strokes gained T degree and that's it. Right. But I mean, I started when they, the word analytics wasn't a word yet. Um, you know, and so, way along for those days when you could bet just the longer, you know, y- you'd have like Tim Clark against, I don't know, Bubba Watson at, at um, Quail Hollow or something. And if they were the same quality, you know, if, if these golf, if, if they were like, had the same scoring average overall, you know, they price them basically about the same and you're like, well, damn, this is stealing. Um, it's not like that anymore, but um, yeah, every sport's different. So did- Sorry, Jeff, I missed that.
0: So no, I was just, I was just going to ask a question on, um, uh, Logan, did you have anything else that you said you had a few questions? Otherwise I'd love to go in a slightly different direction. Um, I would
1: love it. I'm going to try to find the right way to phrase this. Why does Rufus seem to be the villain for every other golf better
2: sans myself? I mean, I didn't realize I was the villain. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I, I would say that I understand. Like, I think I shape the market um, in a way which probably makes, it, you know, a road's edges for people. Um, and so I get that. Um, although I think if you look at what like you isn't know what that data golf's doing, isn't well, isn't that if, if you look at what data golf's doing now too, I mean, the thing is, it's like, I mean, they're you know they're doing kind of the same thing, right. They're shaping the market in a big way early in the week um, too. And, and yeah, it's frustrating for me. Um, But at the same time, there's all like, that's just the way it goes. I mean, you hear, you see people like Alan Boston complaining about like people betting college basketball overnights, you know, and, and like, come on, like, what are you doing? Um, But it's, there's always, I feel like there's always going to be someone like, putting out information and the markets are always going to get sharper and you just have to try to stay a step ahead. But as to why I'm the villain, I mean, I didn't even realize I was the villain, but I'm, I'm, the villain I know in like the Slack channel, I think, but that's, you know, that's to be expected. (laughs) Yeah. I
1: think I I actually, to your point about like the Alan Boston thing, like I I, I'm really over people complaining and bitching about, oh, so-and-so crushed the line when it's $500 limits because, and it just feels like a waste of time and a waste of resources, like waste of breath to complain about other people betting things that you think are good value. Like five hundred dollars to me might be one thing; it means a lot different to somebody else. So I'm I'm all on board with like we can't complain about that anymore. Like we just need to, as a gambling society, agree that that's we're gonna stop complaining about that. Um, but I mean, yeah, you- anyway, I I know you've had
2: go ahead. Well, I was going to say, like gamblers, like we're. I mean, you would never see a poker player complaining about another poker player doing something to take their money, right? I mean, in a way, it's like. Uh, I've I've seen enough Phil. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say
1: YouTube clips to disagree I, with that. I,
0: can I ask you, Logan, this, the exact same question, which is why do you think that Rufus is the the villain of all golf betters?
1: I so part of it is Rufus is very front facing, right? Like, it kind of everyone knows who Rufus is.
2: But wait, wait. But Logan, I will say, I I rarely ever give out. I don't give out golf picks. I don't talk about golf very much at all. Yeah, but I I mean, front facing, like you're out there, right? You have a podcast. You've done
1: interviews. Been on TV. You know, like I think that's part of it, right? And sort of, I mean, you know, it's like how we started the pod, right? Like this it's not even my real name. Like we sort of are closed off community, right? I think that's part of it. Um, I mean. I know you went head to head with Far for a while on DFS stuff and Empire Maker things, not even really worth bringing up. But then huh. obviously, this whole thing with, with abnormally distributed was was crazy with the million dollar challenge and stuff. And I don't know that, that that's a whole other path we can go down. But I, I think part of it is being front facing and being. Now, the, the AD thing, like. I think Rufus was baiting him a little bit with his comments. Like there were a couple comments kind of like hidden in the, uh, you know, ask me anything threads. And I don't know if you were like, were you trying to get a
2: reaction out of him or just like, you were just generally trying to be like, I don't know about that guy. So, so in, in that case, I was, I was literally like, I mean, in this case, I wasn't, I, I I've definitely baited him before. I think in the last podcast, I was like, I'm, I mentioned being in a cabin in Montana trying to follow his, you know, um lead or something like that. But but in that case, I actually legitimately wasn't. I was just like, the thing is, you don't really know. Like, I mean, Logan, I don't know if you're winning better. You don't know if I'm a winning better. I mean, like we all know Jeff's not a winning better, but um because no, he only bets at one book. Um actually Jeff's like the person
1: I know to be up the most in the world. At this <laughs> True, <moment. laughs> actually, right. Um
2: but but I mean I think the thing is it's I mean I, I think for there's a lot of people in this gambling Twitter space that um, that I think that people expect they're winning betters. They act like they're winning betters. They say they're professional betters, winning betters. Like they're not all winning betters. Like I, I can guarantee you that. And I think that it, you don't know who is and who isn't unless you actually like, I don't know. I mean, like Spanky thinks Spanky knows I'm a winning better. Cause he knows people down, you know, he knows people that run all these books and stuff. Um, but like I feel like he's probably has the best information of anybody on all this stuff um, he probably knows if, like if you' he probably knows what you're betting Logan he, he spanky just has his you know <laughs> finger on the pulse of, of the gambling world he, he knows everybody but also but, but my, point, but my point though Jeff is just that like in that case I like you don't know like just because someone sounds smart on Twitter doesn't mean that they're winning better and or it doesn't mean they're not a winning better either. But the whole point is I'm not going to just because I think it was about my British open stuff. And it made if I recalibrated because of that, and I was like, well, you know, his projections were very different from mine and clearly like mine were more closer to the market, but you know, his could have been directionally correct. I don't know, but I wasn't going to pay a lot of attention to this, that small sample size. So um
0: do you, Logan, do you think that Rufus is a winning better?
2: Yes.
1: Someone actually messaged me this. They were like, if you were gonna set a line, if I or if I, if I was even money on both sides, you had to bet on Rufus or AD. Who'd you take? And I did say I said Rufus max bet, but th- that's mostly because like I know to Rufus' point, like I know people who know Rufus. I've, we have similar contacts. We've worked with similar people. Like so, to go back to what I said earlier, like, so much of this is just a small space. People know anybody, and so like it comes down to just who do you know and who do you trust? There, there could be a ton of people out there who are winning betters that I don't know and I've never heard of. And, you know, to like, how do you possibly quantify who's the best, who's the top golf people? Like, I don't know. I, I could be totally irrelevant in this scope of the golf market. And I, I, I wouldn't really know other than if things didn't move when I bet them. So it's like, it's just so hard to quantify because it's so hard to know who's where in this sort of, you know, un unfinishable order of, of best bettors and who wins and who doesn't. So it's just all, it's all a crapshoot. So I think, I think what Ruth's is saying is like, you should err on the side of caution. We never really know. I think that's a fine point to take.
2: Yeah. And I mean, there's, you know, a lot of people in the space that I'm friendly and friends with that I don't actually, I've never seen whether they're actually winning bettors or not but you know, Man, I, like talk about this. I like them we as, talk as people all the like, time. Right. Which is like Jeff. Thing. I mean, although he wins at the craps table, I can tell you that.
0: I'm, I, I'm like, not even really a better anymore. Like, I don't, I mean, like we, we talk about this. I, I bet at one sports book, which is the sharpest sports book in the world. Right. So if I was really looking for outs and advantage, I would be hustling around to get, to get, to get more of that. Right. I, I just don't. You're an action junkie that. now. What's that? yeah i'm just an action <laughs> i had daniel berger i had daniel berger after round two in this last last week and i felt oh. like a genius
2: after round three jeff not- i bet him after round three i laid like between minus 270 and minus or no, minus 370 and minus 400 because i made him 81.8 percent i
0: kind of like i kind of i kind of tend to bet a lot of uh a lot of the favorites now going into like after week two after round two because Rufus told me that people t- tend to undervalue like the the strokes that people are up, So I, I tend to well, do You're that. not supposed
2: to say this on the podcast just to have a little bit of a sweat.
1: I will well, say interesting. I feel like, uh, sorry to interrupt you, Rufus, but I feel like when I talk to people about it and I feel like everyone agrees that like data golf is constantly over projecting or over predicting the top people will hold on to their lead. And I don't, I don't really like look at their numbers relative to market, but it's just, I found it interesting that you said that Jeff, that, most people are undervaluing the strokes they have. Whereas like, I feel like beta golf is like, it doesn't matter who it is. If they're up four strokes at, after round two, they're at 55% to win.
2: I mean, I think it probably matters a little bit who they are, but. <laughs> well, you're, you're right, you're right, you're right. It does matter. But, was, I mean, I words. think that, yeah, I mean, I I tend to be closer to them than, you know, I mean, I, I, I think I'm directionally the same with them in terms of being higher on the favorites. And that's like, you know, and I am penalizing, um I am penalizing the leaders for the pressure and all that stuff. although I, I I'll say one thing I'm not doing, maybe Logan, you can shed some light on this. have you have you been able to look into the effect of pressure on a Sunday, that kind of thing and like, you know, I mean Daniel Berger, you know, is a great example of that on you know this past Sunday.
1: I haven't other than Fate Paul, Casey and Louie on Sundays. but um, I, I think I, I can kind of appreciate some of the things that data golf does in that um, like they are trying to as best as they can sort of quantify that with the expected wins. Although sometimes those numbers seem crazy to me, like the difference between expected wins and actual or, or, you know, like that. But I, I think it's just like anything, right. It's like, how do you quantify form? Like you can try as best you can to get an idea of when a golfer's playing well, when they're playing poorly, but it, to a certain point, it's kind of subjective and pressure kind of falls on that same thing. Like you're almost impossible to get a, enough sample size. I mean, maybe like tiger would have a good sample size in terms of like, what does a golfer look like when they're leading on Sunday by one stroke, by two strokes, by three strokes. Um, I just, th- I think you have a hard
2: time getting the, the sample necessary to make good conclusions. I agree with that. And I think, I mean, I haven't, I, th- I think to do it right. You need to really get on the granular level. Like you need to be like, I mean, the, the hole in the, in the, the shot. But the problem with that is the fact that you have to reconstruct the leaderboard at each point in time. And and also you don't even know if one of these, one of these players is the kind of guy that isn't, doesn't watch the leaderboard until the last few holes or whatever. I mean, cause mm-hmm. I don't know if anybody, I don't know how it's possible people do that these days. I mean, I've been to a tournament and seen all the leaderboards. I don't know how you would, <laughs> it's like, it's like trying to not see, you know, if you taped a sporting event for the night before and you just, you're like, please don't show me the score. Um, <laughs> you, but you know, so, I mean, but like, I think you can, you can say some things at the round level about a guy leading going into Sunday, but I think you could say, but but you also, because you have such small, I mean, such a small data, well, such a small sample size there, it's hard to, you can say a guy has been, has played poorly under pressure on Sundays, like, I think once you were able to finally say, okay, Sergio, we have enough data to say he sucks under pressure on Sundays, then he like, you know, figures out how to deal with it. And wins the masters. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's kind of like a Jim Furyk, you know, everybody I bet on basically, but it, but if you could say, Oh, this guy had the lead for these three holes like on the back nine and he went double bogey bogey and ejected himself you know, like that's like, he may not have had the lead going into the round, but like, you're like, okay, this is where he felt the pressure. This is how much he stunk then. Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> I feel like I've had a bad history, a bad
1: run, like the past 12 months of having golfers who find themselves in contention on Sunday and then hit one in the water on have, 16 and 17. Did you have McNeil? Oh, you had, a uh, wait, I had Xander at the master's he hit in the water on 17 Mm -hmm. when he got within one of hideki Mm i had um i had phil hit one ob at pga i had him for that calcutta um but he did hold on he won my other segments oh i had i had louis at uh the us open and he hit one out of bounds on 17 and rom made the two putts.
2: so yeah i I had mcneely (laughs) man i i blew i had harris english blow that four shot lead on the back nine it was one of, the, one of those events this summer. McNeely had that, like, do you remember when they were measuring to see if the ball was out of bounds with the string? He was up, like, four with four holes to go, and and he hit a tee shot out of bounds and and lost, forget, in a playoff. And, yeah. And then DeChambeau against Cantlay. Cantlay hit it in the water on 17 and was already down a stroke or whatever. Yeah. And then that one went to, like, seven playoff holes. Mm-hmm yeah I'm, i yeah i had some can't lay too so i shouldn't complain but like it was a lot more and, yeah i you did remember have those you don't remember the times when you get lucky
1: oh so i'm gonna one counter after that and i my wife always always tells me i can't complain about bad beats because i had can't lay at um the one where rom had to withdraw because of covid Oh, yeah i had Rom there <laughs> <laughs> i know i was, I was to bring it up but yeah so i had can't lay there and it was like uh, we we had some friends over and we were watching on Saturday and it Cam had played fine but it was like oh Rom's definitely going to win like the round ended and everyone was kind of somber and then like I can't somebody popped up on someone's phone and they're like Rom just withdrew and it was this whole it's one of those like great betting moments where you have like a group together and everyone's excited um, so yeah so I did I I have it go my way sometimes and I mean Straka winning this week was was definitely some run good after. The burger collapse and the rain coming through at just the right time after he
2: hits the t shirt. But he, wait, he hit. I, I had struck as well, actually. We were talking about this before the podcast. Um, although I ejected a lot of money on the burger after round <laughs> three. Um, but he hit that second shot like in the pouring down rain, too. You know what's funny yeah, is that Lowry, second, but he was in. Oh, I mean, right, he wouldn't have piped the drive that far if it was pouring right. down rain, but this, but you look at Lowry. He, like, quick hit. Like, he looked like he never played in the rain. He's freaking Irish. You would think he's the guy that would be fine in this in those conditions. And he somehow yeah. was, like, I don't know.
1: I but, was actually kind of surprised he had such a negative response after the round. He had he had some quote that I read.
2: Oh, I'm um, sure. He looked pissed. He looked like he was ready to making excuses or something. He, he looked yeah. like he was – I mean, look, they would – that's, like, a regular round – that's regular weather in, for Irish golf.
1: Yeah, it said something concerned. along the lines of, like, if I – hit my drive when he did we would have been in the same spot on the fairway and i'm like if you look at they put up the graphic which is actually one of the things i do that i really enjoy where they show like all the t shots and they have like the little dots and like what
2: that person gets straka is in prime position
1: Wait. a it, the best shot hit all day and Lauer's just like oh i definitely would have been
2: there Well, the funny thing is it was that was like maybe the second driver he hit i think based on looking at his he was hitting like 240 170 in on most holes and he's like a normally a bomb. Hey.
1: He was constantly in perfect position
2: off the tee. I mean, maybe like
1: a little far back because he wasn't crushing the ball, like you right. said. But I mean, I, I I think at one point, I don't know if we finished this way, but he was the most accurate driver of the week off the tee.
2: Which um, is not normally Straka's, you know, he's Yeah, long. not his strength. But Straka would have bombed, like he was longer than anybody. So it's like, it's not like, Yeah. I mean, Lowry just hit a really, really bad tee shot. But back to the yeah. ROM thing, Je- Jeff and I, Je- Jeff was with me. We had a group of, we were at Wet Republic when the ROM news happened. We were watching... We were we actually had the the telecast on, and and I saw. Rob the way, that's and-
0: the way to get ladies at Wet Republic to have the oh, golf sure. on <laughs> the bungalow. For those of you guys, for those of you kids listening at home, that's that's the
2: way to that's that's how you roll. You, you, what and then you're your opener? You up open, and you ask them if they use the claw putting grip.
1: What would you say your plus minus this year on John Ramos?
2: Wait, this calendar year or like the last... Yeah, 2022. Okay, so there's been like three tournaments, right, that he's played in? Yeah, just... Uh, he did...
1: He did uh, Century. He did Amex. Did Genesis. Did he do Waste Management? I think so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was the one where he was like plus
2: 450. Yeah, let me see. Um, Hold on. I'm going to go in my log and I can like search for golf by golfer. Well, I can... You know, yeah. I, I asked because...
1: I, I think there's like this point, and I saw it. like I was on Cam Young a bunch, and then he had his second place. Right. And I know, like, I'm just not going to bet on Cam Young again anytime yeah. soon. It's the same thing with Straka. I've been you, on Straka a you bunch. Did
2: on, you didn't have them last week.
1: I <clears> actually <throat> did, surprisingly. Cam Young. I did I, did I had a, a couple matchups with Cam Young, but I did not have, I didn't take any outrights, any top 20, anything. Um, I mean, I got like a 50 to one, and I was like, I made him like maybe 38, 39. I don't know. Yeah. I think, I think I remember that popping up. Like someone asked me, like, do you like it at 55? And I was like, that's barely it. Maybe I had him at like, you know, 1.8% or something. But um, I asked because like, I feel like you get, I get to those points with golfers. Like, all right, this, this market is just, they're too high on them and now I'm going to start fading them. But I feel like that hasn't happened yet with you for ROM. And Which that
2: kind of fascinates crazy. me. Yes.
1: Because I mean, I he's think
2: so priced.
1: So, so high.
2: I agree. I think there's things about, I think I've said this. I think there's some, He's actually underachieved in some ways. Um, I think there's some, there's a re- there are some specific reasons I think why I still like him, which I'm probably not going to get into, but um, I'm counting. Let's see. I'm, I'm down 25,000 betting on ROM this calendar year, but it's like not that many bets.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's curious. Yeah. I mean, I was actually looking at his stuff before we hopped on the call. just because I thought we might talk about him and his putting is almost reaching the point of concern. Like he's basically been neutral for twenty-five rounds with this putter. I don't know. I, I I don't know if that's like enough of a like John Rahm is a neutral putter. It's still a very very good golfer, but he's not he's going off plus four fifty.
2: Right, John Rahm is a neutral fields. putter. Is still probably the best golfer in the world. Yeah, I w- I'll say that. Yeah, I don't but think yeah. he's a neutral putter. I don't think he's he's not he's not the at the top, up the top of the putting rankings now. But I mean, if you had to pick one step for the, you know, where I think he's, I mean, where I'm going to look at a longer time horizon, it's going to be putting. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. And look at how, yeah. How bad he was last week putting. I and mean, maybe it's, maybe it's the weight gain, right? Or the kid. It's not a kid. Yeah. I was <laughs> <laughs> kid, Everything's downhill. I'll tell you guys, I do remember my, this isn't golf, but I remember my best, um, most fortunate win ever. It was a. It was 2009 betting a college world series baseball game. Um, we bet Texas minus three and a half. They were the home team. They were down four runs going into the bottom of the ninth inning. They scored four runs exactly. They loaded the bases and they hit a grand slam. Like <laughs> the odds of that are probably like a, you know, 50,000 to one
1: at least. Yeah. Going into the I, bottom of the night, it's oh, essentially a 0% chance. I
2: mean, I graded a loss. Um, not trying to reverse jinx it, but this is how reverse jinxes work. They only work <laughs> if you actually don't intend. Like if you're, you're like that bad loss, I'm grading a loss. I, I mentioned this
1: to you when we talked earlier, but like I should have been trying to reverse jinx my stuff going into the bear trap because I just got so destroyed with the water, especially on 15 and 17. Yeah, I mean, it was just a brutal tournament. Like in terms of, you think you have such a comfortable position, yeah, especially with like round bets. Like you, think you have such a comfortable spot. Uh, I, I can't, I can't think of amount of up fours with
2: five or four or three to play that ended up losing. Did you have Sloan over Lipsky in round four? He was up uh, four into the bear trap and lost by one. And
1: I, I don't think I had that one. There was, was it Knox on Sunday or Knox on Saturday? I do. It was that. the same thing. He was up, we going to bear trap are you guys talking about Armenian um,
0: golf right now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Sorry, Jeff, you, you were going to ask me a macro question. And then I had my questions. No, I, I mean,
0: you guys are like nerding out on golf and like literally have negative one listener right now, but, um, <laughs> you know, I'm going to, I'm going to ask, we, we've been on for about an hour. So we usually try to close up, but I'll ask like one kind of like <clears throat> a lot of, a lot of what we talk about on the show And we talked to very successful sports bettors and, you know, even when we talked to Rufus, it's it's around this sort of like information asymmetry slash data, you know, like better data, like, and a lot of that is kind of disappearing to some degree, right? Like you you said it, like, you know, early on, one of the reasons that Rufus was, was a better golf better than everyone was, he was using different data. And now obviously that's, that's catching up. Um, we've seen that like in the Haral Bob days and NBA, that The theory is that he had um, you know, better data because he was having people collected and and you know, even like Stats Bomb, which Rufus and I are both affiliated with at some level. We know that they're they're trying to create better data for you know American football, soccer, everything like that. So I'm actually on this weekend at a panel um at Sloan on uh data and, and betting. And I've no idea what the with what we're going to talk about. It's sort of like a bunch of John Sheeran's on it and some other people. But like, I'm curious about like where we think this all goes. I mean, there's clearly some, still some huge data, like there, there's some data frontiers, right? Like like just player tracking, spin rates, all these kind of things that aren't really mainstream yet. But like, where do you, Rufus, and where do you, Logan, as professional bettors, that you know may or may not have day jobs anymore um where do you guys think that next frontier is going to be obviously you guys both like golf so you both pursue that but where would you say the next one will come if it's not in golf or or where where would you think about looking if you weren't it wasn't golf for for betting in terms of golf no just generally like where are some sports what are some sports that you might think about as offering interesting opportunities for data asymmetry
1: what i was going to say is like i think there must be some sort of hesitation because i i really don't understand in baseball too like i feel like we're at the point where you should be able to bet like on every action that <laughs> happens like as whether or not you have the data for it like is this pitch gonna be a strike ball is it gonna be in play is this shot going to be on the green is going to be this or that. Like, I think we're headed towards that in the betting space, and because of that, like the data is going to have to catch up and back people for it. Um, I'll speak for soccer for a little bit about your question. I like player position is so important, and like anytime an action takes takes place, you kind of need to know where the other twenty one people are on the field. Like, I mean, high leverage people would be like where the goalie is standing when a shot's taken and, you know, relative to where the shot's taken, is there a defender in his way? Is there multiple defenders in their way? Stats Bomb has has started to kind of parse through some of that, but, like, for for soccer, at least, that's, like, sort of the next step, is not just on ball. Basically, everything up to this point in soccer has been on ball actions, and a huge portion of the game is not played on the ball, right? There's only one person ever has the ball at a time. The other 21, other people are doing something else. It's especially true of, like, quantifying defenders, because a defender is often really good if they don't have any actions, right? If they're not having to make a slide tackle, if they're not making an interception, because they're in the right position anyways, like, so I I think in terms of soccer, at least that that's sort of where the next space is, is how we quantify these previously unquantifiable things.
2: Like the Darrell Revis thing, right? Remember the Revis
1: Island? Oh, yeah, exactly. Right? Like, so he's so good that no one ever throws your way. So how do we even know how good you are? Exactly.
2: Yeah, that's, I think that's a good response, Logan. Um, for me, what's the next frontier? You know, I don't know. Um, what, like, what am I, I mean, I personally, I think that we're getting so much data. Like it is, I don't know. I feel like I'm not smart enough to handle like the, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a machine learning guy or although some people have told me that I do do machine learning. I don't know. Cause I don't know what the hell it is, but um, I feel like baseball's already gotten to the point where right now there's so much data and so much complexity that it's like, well, you know what? I mean, I'm out of my element a little bit. Um, I think my strength is, is critical thinking and being able to sort of, rather than throwing the kitchen sink at something, something kind of well thought out and creative and in a a certain way of looking at things. So I think that the more in a way, the less data that's available, kind of the better for me. Um, I mean, I need data obviously, but like I think my strength is sort of hackier solutions and having perfect data, a perfect, you know, a perfect data set. If everybody else has that, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be, I think I won't have the same, quite the same advantage. So um, I don't know, maybe I'll just be in bed. Like I'll just sit on my side. I think,
1: um, I I think a lot of the edge I've had previously is just having to a certain point, like if you just have better data than everyone else, that's really all you need. And especially if you can have some sort of like, data manipulation involved with that data, then you're like really rocking and rolling. So it's like to, to Jeff's question, like in the sports betting space, especially like that is going to control markets. So again, to just kind of circle all the way back around, like that's why I'm hopeful that being, I'm not saying that I am the first, but one of the first that at least I know of to do this shot by shot level. Like I hopefully that's the edge that can kind of carry me through because I think to a certain point, like I saw with soccer, like. I built up using the same model that I had beating second division Armenian soccer. And I got to the premier league and I was like, Oh, this isn't going to work anymore. Like you you can't just have solid data when everyone else has solid data. So it's, that's part of it too.
2: Well, I think the other thing is with the premier league, you're, you're against like, I mean, 60 person hedge funds where they're, you know, or where they have 60 people like building models. Right. I mean, like you're, you're up against like, is a, you know, sole proprietor or whatever. I mean, if someone, I'm guess. I don't, I'm guessing you're building the models yourself, right? I mean, it's like, yeah. you know, it's, you wouldn't go up against like, I don't know, Bridgewater or something and expect to beat them. And fi- at least I wouldn't, you know, right. In finance, we- right. So it's like, how you know, cause at a certain point it, it gets, it gets harder to compete. Um, yeah. I had this conversation with
1: the, um, the guy that I do the cow cuddle with and Rob actually mentioned it on his, on his pod, Pizzola said, I, th- I think the question was framed like what's the hardest sport to beat. And he said that he thinks baseball, which I, th- I found very interesting because I feel like everyone I talked to recently that used to do baseball doesn't do it anymore. Like it's the first one to get cut. And I said, it's probably because like you've got teams, you know, 10 plus guys with thousands and thousands of lines of code and millions of rows of data, just like data overload for them. And they're able to process it so efficiently and so quickly. And maybe they're not perfect, right? Like maybe they aren't getting injury news as fast or bullpen availability as fast and stuff like that. But like to a certain point, it doesn't even matter, right? If you can get, if you can just be directionally correct when there's 15 games a day for 162 days, like it doesn't even, you don't need to be that good. You just need to be, you can get the data that well and just 2% ROI. I mean, you're like, you're going to print money.
2: Yeah. I'll also say that baseball is legitimately the least fun sport to bet in the world, <laughs> in my opinion. Because it, I mean, I think it's Jeff's favorite because of this, but, but because there are games absolutely every day. So there's no escape. Like it's just a mental grind.
0: I don't know whether I'm going to bet baseball this year. I mean, I don't even, even know right, if there's no. any baseball this year, but I don't know if I'm going to bet it because. Because, like, I've enjoyed not grinding at all. Like, I haven't – I because I'm not really betting much NBA or college basketball this year. Like, this whole, like, there's, like, a lot of freedom from the sweat. Like, I actually, like, put my phone down for, like, at least five minutes at a time and don't look at it. It's amazing. And, and I actually, like, spend time with my children. So, it's, it's a very – I'm kind of an enlightened human being, to be honest. I, I feel like you guys probably can feel that wokeness in me right now. So –
2: you know, it's a lot uh, of that on the spot you know, I keep, I had Buddhist class earlier today and I'm totally getting that sense from you yeah <laughs> we all right, well Logan, an enlightened being today Logan thank you for
0: joining us um should we do a calcutta for the players no because I, I, I want to I don't want to oh. lose all my money
2: again <laughs> I would love it I think I we should pull the they- pull the chat. I have Calcutta PTSD. Like I'm literally, I feel like I need to get somebody else to auction for me just because I'm going to just be gun shy because you should just like, build
0: a model and have your brother do it. And you can
2: be the auctioneer. There you go. When is the the oh, players is in
0: two weeks. Is that right? Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah next gonna, week. I'm going to be in Mon yeah, I'm still in monte I might be traveling. Let's see. I don't know what day. Yeah. what, what is it the 11th through 15th or something? I don't know if that, Yeah, sense. I mean I
0: I I would do it. I'm around. Uh, I'd be able to do uh, do one if we can there's three of us right now that'll do it. Let's pull it out. Yeah. And we yeah. got to get some of these other people that think that Rufus is the villain, right? Like we got to get them into the Calcutta. It'd be fun.
2: I'm just afraid of losing now. It's the worst thing. What are
0: you talking about? You won in the
2: NFL? Yeah, I like. only I won in NFL and I won in college basketball last year. Like college basketball where <laughs> I was probably the only person and in there that didn't, didn't have any model for it. I mean, I, yeah. So All right. we have, is that the, is the players st- the same week as the, is March Madness? No, it's the week before.
0: So it's kind of perfect. Yeah. Okay.
2: okay. I think yeah. it's a great idea. I'll think about it.
0: All right. Let's uh, put that, put that to rest. Logan, thank you for joining us. Uh, very interesting nerd golf talk. I like it and we'll talk to you hopefully in in uh in next week yeah, next week for that for that talk, talk. Sounds good, Thanks guys.